I think a materialist approach to things is very, very consistent with uh, my experience in Christian social justice. I feel like the, the deeper I get into anarchist practice, the deeper my faith is getting at the same time. I would hope that you know, securing means of life for all would be something all people of faith would say, oh yes, that's at the basis of what we believe. Those who are most marginalized know the most about the truth, good and the beautiful. To me, it's less that I think building class solidarity is a bad thing, as much as it seems like if you don't attend to things like anti-black racism, um, that's always going to get in the way of building class solidarity, actually. And when you go back, you find that a lot of uh, revolutionary grassroots participatory movements, the, the precursors to what you could call um, the barrio assemblies and these like, you know, grassroots neighborhood organizations, a lot of these were sponsored by the church. What does it mean to say that the Christian tradition is internally contradictory and there are antagonisms there? Um, you're always uh, being faithful to some aspects and betraying other aspects. Welcome to the Magnificast, a podcast about Christianity and leftist politics. I am Dr. Matt Bernico, your co-host. And I'm your other co-host and your other co-doctor, recently minted PhD, Dean Detloff. I've been a doctor for less than three days, and uh, I'm still waiting for the checks to come in the mail. <laughs> but uh, I have academically recognized credentials uh, in by, by the government of the Netherlands specifically, so... It's a Doctor to Doctor podcast from here on out. Pretty good. That's right, folks. Uh, email us your ailments and, uh, you know, what? tell us about your rash. Tell us about, uh, I don't know, your foot problem, toothache. We won't be able to answer them, but we would love to know about them. Yeah, when, when Matt says tell us, he means tell him specifically. I personally do not want to hear about your foot problem, but Matt seems very excited about it. Um, I'll leave that Ooh, to you nope. to, to learn more about um, yeah, I think also, uh, you know, the, the medical questions, that's a, t a tough one for me specifically, but if you do want to send us what's ailing you about your church committee or what's going on in your pastoral team, we might be able to diagnose what's happening there and give you a good prescription, uh, a good Marxist tract that you could leave in the bathroom at your church and that might cure it, <laughs> cure it right up. Yeah, that's right. Just slip a <laughs> slip something that looks like a twenty dollar bill into the <laughs> uh, the tithe plate, the offering plate, but it's actually just like uh, it's actually just the opening to capital. And mm -hmm. uh, you know, your pastor will open it up and get tricked into reading something about economics, and they'll love it. They'll become converted just when you do that. That's for sure. Yeah, a nice little comic strip that just explains the the role of capital in the production process, and slowly you can uh, watch people. Uh, discover their own exploitation in real time and they'll see the white and come to your next communist meeting. What I like to do is leave those those communist tracks right on top of a urinal. Mm -hmm. uh, people love that's where they're <laughs> that's where they're most receptive to yeah. political economy. People like to put that stuff in their pockets. Yeah, they definitely like to touch it and bring <laughs> it home with them. The toilet, <laughs> the toilet literature. They love it. <laughs> it is toilet literature. If you think about it, it's pretty appropriate. I'm thinking about it, and you're right. It is appropriate. Hey, well, what's appropriate for this podcast is that we move right along here and, and introduce <laughs> what we're actually going to do in this one. So in the past, uh, just a few episodes ago, we did a pretty well-received episode. Everyone loved it. We got glowing reviews uh, that starts at the ground level of Christianity and the socialist discourse and just lays out like why these two things make sense together. So uh, in the episode, we came at the issue from the standpoint of like, you know, why Christians specifically should be socialists, right? Uh, it was the episode you're supposed to send to your mom or your family member. And some of you did it. And what a what a wild commitment that is. <laughs> but OK, um, so we figured it all out. We did it in that episode. And it was great. And uh, like I said, you loved it. It was great. Um, anyways, having done all of that, we thought it might be worth taking some time and thinking about the same question, but from the opposite end. So instead of uh, why Christians should be socialists or something, uh, or why Christians should be invested in socialism as a political movement or a strategy, or I don't know, one of those types of questions. We thought it might be good to think about why should socialists care about Christians? Let me be very clear here. We're not saying that uh, socialists should be Christians or that uh, you should become converted or whatever. No interest in that whatsoever. Please re remain a committed atheist or agnostic or non-Christian person. I That's fine with me. 
Um, but what you should do is uh, care about Christian people uh, and see what they might have to offer a socialist movement. That's the, uh, I think, the general aim of what we want to do here in this episode. Yeah, and also maybe clearing up some of those issues around atheism that is always a perennial problem in the, the socialist left, whether you're a Marxist or an anarchist or something else. Um, that's a real issue and a hurdle to figure out. And there's been a lot of history since everybody's favorite folks, Marx and Bakunin and everybody else, uh, we're telling you to quit going to church. <laughs> that I think makes things a little more complicated. Um, you know, if you decide you got to go to church at the end of this, that's fine. You can sit by us, I guess. But yes, the key here is we're not evangelizing or converting people through the podcast. But I do think uh, socialists should be convinced that there's actually a lot going on with Christianity that's important to consider uh, for the sake of really building a socialist movement, for the sake of understanding global politics, uh, for the sake of rooting out some of the, the Euro chauvinism that is present in the socialist tradition. And, you know, a lot of socialists have, I think, already outgrown the atheism of some of the sort of founding figures of the modern left. And to be clear, like that atheism has its uses, too. I'm not uh, sour about it. Um, but in a reductive sense, I think as a limiting sort of category, that atheism has a, a bad determining influence in some cases that's also worth sorting out. So we'll try to make the case to your you can send this to your your communist or anarchist mom. Um, Probably far fewer like, of those, but yeah. <laughs> fewer, but uh, nevertheless, I know they're out there. I've met a few myself, and you can say, look, Mom, uh, it's important to understand there's something going on with Christianity, and uh, here you go. I'm going to try to soften up your your hardcore mom uh, anarchist atheism. <laughs> That's right. Um, you know, we could probably also make, uh, I mean, it's possible that similar points could be made about uh, people of different faith traditions or something like that. But, uh, you know, we're here for that. But maybe that one's not for us to do. So we're going to definitely stay in our lane and only talk about Christianity and socialism. Um, we're going to let all of the other all of the other um, various faith and socialism podcasts, they can uh, parcel out for themselves. I'm sure there's some good ones out there. So, uh, yeah, let's get into it. Uh Atheism and the left. There's a tradition of it, uh, but there's, you know, just like there's a tradition of Christianity or religious people and uh, leftist politics, there's also a pretty uh, strong tradition of atheism and leftist politics. And like, fine, uh, it definitely has its purposes. Like Dean said, not sour about it. The critique that uh, people like Marx and Bakunin make of religion is sometimes a good one. Maybe we need to hear it. Uh, and I'm, I think that's a good uh you know, I think there's nothing wrong with the critique of religion and uh, I kind of embrace it actually a lot. Um, it's pretty good. Uh, just the same, though, I think that people uh, transform the, um, you know, the materialist engagement with um, religion through Marx uh, as a, a real, I don't know, a real roadblock to them accepting, um, yeah, I don't know, religious people of any variety into socialist movements or into other types of leftist movements. And that is too bad. Uh, I mean, just being people um, who are online on Twitter, I think we've had a handful of those folks kind of chime in every now and again on our Twitter accounts. I, I mean, every time I bring it up on Twitter, I think someone will inevitably respond to me and be like, well, but you know what Mark said about religion, so you're dumb or whatever. Um, I don't know, Dean, what what do you say to those types of people? I mean, uh, we can kind of get to the actual philosophical roots at the uh, in a minute, but uh, I don't know. What do you think of the people who just uh, have maybe internalize these prohibitions on religion in uh, dogmatic and unhelpful ways. Yeah, I mean, you know, I I have a lot of time for people who are not convinced by Christianity or not convinced that it's a good thing in the world. I understand why people think that. And boy, is it hard to not think that. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what would compel you not to think that unless you sort of had an investment in it and were already involved and so on. So you know, uh, I, I have a lot of time, I think, for nuanced opinions about it and for committed atheists. And I spend a lot of time with committed socialist atheists and, and I love them. They're great. Uh, but I think it's also important to recognize that even in some of the founding figures of uh, a sort of I don't like the word secular for a lot of reasons, but I'm going to use it here for a second, a kind of secular left tradition which is to say a, a left tradition or a left socialist tradition that's outside of uh, a Christian socialist tradition. Let's just put it that way. Uh, a lot of those figures, even while they have a, a really um, rowdy atheism or like a really strong uh, invective kind of atheism, 
if you look at their lives too, they're constantly rubbing elbows with other uh, kinds of socialists who may not think like them theologically and otherwise. And I think it's important to always be thinking clearly about that too, that uh, we do have to reckon with atheism and the reasons for it and, and what's really useful and what's maybe not so useful. And we also have to be willing to allow history to kind of intervene in those conversations. And I think my impression of people on the internet at least is there is a certain temptation to latch on to like a really good sentence from Marx or a really good sentence from some kind of anarchist writer and yeah. say, well, this is the sum total of what these traditions have to say about religion. And to me, that there's kind of an irony in it, in it because it ends up dogmatizing um, a line here or there without taking in the full context of a, a famous quote or taking in, again, the historical development of these living traditions and what else has gone on. So I think it's important to uh, always allow ourselves to complicate things, to let history complicate things, and especially to allow revolutionary movements to sort of open up these questions even more than a text written here or there. You know, I think that, um, well, that's all a lot of good points. You've made so many. Um, but the one thing that you said that really resonates with me right now, at least, is that um, that like Marx or Bakunin or whoever, right, they are rubbing elbows with all these other people. And they're like in conversation with these different types of socialists and different types of working class movements. And like they themselves in their practice of politics or their organizing or whatever are not like politically pure in some way, <laughs> you know, like that mm -hmm. like you might want to think they are on online. Um, I was reading, uh, I don't know, some uh, some some stuff about the uh, Communist Manifesto the other day and, and the, you know, Marx is writing it to like the Chartists in England. And um these are people who are not like, you know, scientific socialists, like you might think of them online or whatever. So uh, it's just a good point, though, that uh, that when you're talking about politics, and you're talking about like actual movements of like people, uh, you've got a lot of you got a mixed bag of all kinds of different things going on. Right. And, and no one has sort of like a clear and pure ideological standpoint, regardless of like what Marx says or whatever in, in whatever passage of, of uh, this commentary on Hegel. So yeah, there's just a lot going on there, and there's no there's no real reason to like over uh, over determine one point or something. Yeah, and I think I would add too that you know it's one thing to have atheist convictions, which I think again are are totally fair and fine, but it's another thing to think through what those convictions open up and close down for you if you communicate them in a certain way or or act on them in particular ways. And I always get a kick out of you know Marx himself. Uh, was pretty adamant about the fact that, yes, he's an atheist, but also he thought it was very important to not let that atheism get in the way of, of organizing. Uh, yeah. And you see that same logic come up in Lenin. It comes up in, in Rosa Luxemburg, you know, people who are pretty committed atheists. <laughs> uh, Lenin, yeah. perhaps even more so in, in a lot of respects. Um, but there's that famous line in one of Lenin's uh, essays on religion where he says uh, unity in the the proletarian struggle is more important than uh, unity of uh, the proletariat's opinions on what happens after you die. <laughs> I'm paraphrasing, yeah. but, uh, you know, I think that's also important, too. We can make a distinction between saying um, no one's saying you should just give up your, your atheism or whatever. But if you want to win socialism, uh, you're going to have to think of a way to uh, communicate that commitment or um, soften it or strategically maybe uh, be have it be a little bit more open than what you usually see uh, in crabby Twitter debates or something. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Well, all right, let's start at the very beginning then. Um, like I said a minute ago, if, if you ever bring up religion and socialism on the internet, someone will always respond to you <laughs> and tell you about Marx uh, and the opium of the people line or something. So let's just talk about that line, that, uh, that bit from Marx, and um, we can kind of get into it. So this specific passage comes from Marx's critique of Hegel's philosophy of right, uh, something that is, I mean, like, you know, as Marx goes, kind of in the weeds, too. <laughs> it's not like this is capital or something, right? Well, whatever. Uh, anyways, it's it's uh, it's good, just the same. Um, Marx's critique of Hegel and, you know, German ideology in general is great. So anyways, uh, the, the line that uh, people get kind of bent out of shape about and maybe sometimes over-determine is this one. Religious suffering is, at one and the same time, the expression of real suffering and protest against real suffering. Religion is the sigh of the oppressed creature, the heart of the heartless world, the soul of the soulless conditions. It's the opium of the people. 
So I think that, uh, I mean, get the full quote gives you a lot more to go off of than just, you know, religion is the opium of the people or religion is the opium of the masses, right? That's the, just the end is what you hear quoted most oftentimes. And, uh, yeah, people say it and what they mean by it is that uh, religion is something that leads people astray, distracts them, it tricks them, it fools them, one of these kinds of things. But uh, in the in the context of the whole passage, you get a different kind of feeling um, about religion. Not that it's tricking people or fooling people. So I guess it is. I mean, it's one way to look at it for sure. But it is an expression of real suffering in the world. Uh, that religion is is a way that people are grappling with their uh, the material conditions that they find themselves in. Religion is, uh, yeah, the the sigh of the oppressed creature. Such a nice line. Uh, really pretty poetic, actually. Uh, but it tells you, uh, it, it gives you a little bit of a different feel than just sort of like a staunch, uh, angry atheist kind of vibe to it. Yeah, I think too, I mean, there's so much to say about that passage. I actually just taught a class on um, Marxism and Christianity that takes a lot of cues from this passage in particular because it, it shows up all over. And there's so many things to say. The first is that Marx actually did not invent the analogy between religion and opium. That was like a really common thing in the 19th century there's like a whole list of people who were using that comparison but what marx does do that is really uh unique i think and very interesting is the nature of his atheism is such that uh sure he doesn't believe in god you know whatever he has those epistemological commitments but the way that he looks at religion is always as a a product of human beings that responds to real material needs and of course, it, it often becomes ideological. And, you know, to be fair to Marx, uh, this passage, the wider context, I think, gives you a little more wiggle room on religion, but he does end up basically, you know, mocking religion later on. <laughs> and that's fine. That's uh, his right to do that. But uh, it's important to sort of recognize that what's happening in a passage like this is uh, reflective of Marx's uh, real authentic desire to understand what, how are people, uh, coping with the brutalities of capitalism and having that sympathetic view, I think of people's turn to religion uh, is really important. The way I always describe the opium bit too, is to say, it's not to say that it's an opiate in that it just distracts you from everyday life, uh, but rather to see it as something like a beer that you have at the end of the day, right? Like you had a really long day, you, your boss yelled at you, whatever. And at the end, you just want to relax and chill out. And of course that can stop you from, uh, politicizing or from understanding your your argument with your boss in political terms. But it's also like this is just what people have to do to survive sometimes and, and get by. So I think uh, it's always important to expand those analogies and see the real sophistication even of uh, the kind of atheism that Marx is trying to inject into his own socialist uh, writing. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I guess the on the one hand, I feel kind of silly, like we have to, uh, <laughs> like we're doing like the exegetical work <laughs> with Marx or whatever, <laughs> like you would the Bible or something. Yeah, yeah. But like, it's interesting, though, because I think that a lot of times um, people who are uh, antagonistic towards religion will actually use this bit of Marx in a, sim a similar way to like evangelicals mm -hmm. uh, and like different types of like clobber verses about, I don't know, LGBTQ stuff or whatever <laughs> who knows right they uh people will take this bit of marx and use it as a bludgeon to gatekeep um you know what what they who they think should be involved in uh socialist politics or something and that sucks because it's clearly not the kind of thing that marx is sort of getting at here right marx is driving towards a certain type of materialist understanding of religion as a phenomena among people not as like a bludgeon to like keep people from uh, becoming like an like realize as a working class like organization or party or something mm -hmm. different things uh, are are going on in uh, in each of these contexts mm -hmm. yeah um so i think marx gives you a certain kind of atheism i think there's another kind of atheism that departs in the anarchist tradition from marx a little bit and it's important to maybe talk about that too i mean We'll probably spend most of our time talking about Marxism in this episode, let's be honest. <laughs> but, <laughs> but nevertheless, uh, there is a, an anarchist piece to this. Um, we've been mentioning Bakunin. Bakunin drives me up the wall sometimes, just like he drove Marx up the wall, I guess, but for different reasons. Um, and uh, most famously, Bakunin wrote a book called God and the State. We talked about it a long time ago on this podcast. Um, 
I can't remember where or even what we said, but uh, yeah, it was early on for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Don't listen to it. <laughs> um, <laughs> this line, though, uh, I think is a, a good way of summarizing it. So Bakunin says the idea of God implies the abdication of human reason and justice it is the most decisive negation of human liberty and necessarily ends in the enslavement of mankind, both in theory and practice. And oh, for Bakunin. Yeah, well, man is right. <laughs> For uh, Bakunin, I think, you know, there's kind of a, a sort of obvious piece to this that um, God is, is you know, the, the ultimate cop, right? The state that's out there, uh, out in the heavens that wants to uh, make you subject to it or something for all of eternity. And, you know, again, to be fair, a lot of Christianity especially does function that way. Um, so it's not completely off the mark. But at the same time, I think Bakunin's kind of uh, naive anti-authoritarianism that he sometimes has really also uh, holds back his own <laughs> critique of uh, religion and his own atheism from at least the kind of sophistication I see in Marx. Yeah, definitely. I mean, Bakunin is not Marx. <laughs> Sorry, anarchists. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> um, I I feel so torn about the Bakunin stuff, honestly. I, I mean, um, I feel that way because... So God, God in the State is a really cool book actually if you're a christian you should for sure read it it is i think actually worth your time despite his um maybe the like the naive take on christianity and uh religion sometimes that he has but um i don't know there's something very appealing to me i think maybe it's my like inner my inner teenager that i've never really outgrown <laughs> <laughs> like the sort of anti-authoritarianism and all of it i love that um but it's a cool book, and it, I think that it is worth like um, if you're if you're a person who is a Christian, it is worth uh, sitting with some of the ideas, even if they are sort of naive, um, to see. I don't know if they have any kind of play with you, or if they, um, yeah, if they seem true in any ways. It, it's uh, Christianity does a lot to our brains uh, in so far as it breaks them utterly <laughs> and reorders them in ways that are sometimes good and usually a lot of times bad but you know it's a it's a great way to interrogate some of those those things that you believe like is god in your brain a cop and if or like you know or, or is god like an authoritarian state that you have and if so like yeah hey maybe you should consider that <laughs> maybe you should listen to bakunin but i mean like uh the other way though bakunin has this sort of uh yeah like you said naive understanding of uh like religion and Christianity and like what God might be and like the way that human beings are. There's a, a supreme anarchism, especially highlighted in this one sentence I picked out too, where, um, it, it, you know, it centers humans, uh, human individuals as sort of like the center of, of politics and belief and, uh, society. Uh, you know, God gets in the way of your liberty or, or whatever, and you end up kind of becoming enslaved to an idea. And yeah, it's a little bit like a little bit much, but, uh, not altogether worth ignoring. Yeah. One thing I will say about God in the State also, though, just to add, uh, in addition, I, I also I also think it's great to read. There's a lot of cool, helpful stuff in there. But uh, I always sort of say this in conversations about religion and the left. Uh, one thing that Bakunin's secularism, uh, again, I hate that term, but I don't know. Well, I'll just say his atheism. <laughs> I'm just going to keep finding better words. Uh, one thing about his his atheism in particular is, uh, although he's an atheist with respect to every god, he actually kind of imbibes the Christian story about Judaism and becomes like yeah. a rabid anti-Semite in that uh -huh. text, which is, I think, actually a really important thing for people on the left to think through, too, that like uh, there are ways in which the secularism, and here I will use it on purpose, the secularism of people on the left is actually like profoundly Christian in a lot of bad ways, <laughs> like a lot of toxic ways. Um, yeah. so in some ways too, you know, we're, we're never done with dealing with kind of the, the fallout of Christianity and religion, even in these atheist traditions. So I, I guess I, I take that to say definitely read God in the state, but also be like, uh, this anti-Semitic stuff is garbage and I want to get rid of that as well. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's a good, uh, a good point to bring up. It, it does, uh, I mean, you know, Chris dealing with sec, I mean, this is why secularism is such a, uh, troubling and difficult word because like uh so much of religion has leached its way into that way of thinking so it becomes very tricky 
Yeah, well, that's a whole nother podcast episode. Secularism is a wild <laughs> <Yep>. thing. <laughs> we'll, we'll get around to it. But uh, all that to say, I think we can leave these characters behind. But I think that they're they're good. Uh, getting Marx and Bakunin on the table here is a good way of saying these are some dominant strands of uh, atheism on the left. And um, I think it's actually really important to affirm them as interesting and useful. Uh, and, uh, you know, communists and socialists and anarchists should, should be proud of that tradition insofar as it is trying to really, uh, escape the, the talons of the church, which is a real, a real big problem. Um, and, uh, any honest Christian revolutionary person, I think won't be afraid of that, uh, and facing up to that and recognizing it. Uh, but it's also important to recognize that their atheism, too, is complicated and interesting and often more open. And it's also just because, again, someone is sort of a committed atheist like Marx in a theoretical sense that doesn't preclude him from uh, politically understanding that, you know, there's a time and a place for that conversation. And uh, mm -hmm. it's it's not uh, <laughs> something that you want to just use in order to feel better about yourself and uh, drive other people away. So in my experience, um, <laughs> that has not happened that often to me, although uh, I have had a few experiences of like meeting a weird Trotskyite. I'm sorry to pick on them, but it was literally a weird Trotskyite <laughs> at a rally who found out I was there because I was a Christian one time and he was like, oh, Christian's they can't be revolutionaries and they can't be Marxists. And it's like, all right, man, I guess we won't hang out. That's it. <laughs> That's the end of that story. Yeah, uh, for sure. Well, I mean, I, you know, at the end of the day, again, we're not trying to like convert anybody, just like trying to say you should make space for this in your, your, your big worldview or whatever. Yeah. Um, well, let's, let's just turn to some other people then let's, uh, let's interrogate some more, uh, some more interesting ideas that will help make that space in people's brain. Um, okay, so how about this? Uh, another essay we've talked about, but a very long time ago, is a essay called Religion in the Left um, by Cornell West that was first published in the Monthly Review, um, but then uh, was later included in the Cornell West Reader. Go get the Monthly Review, go get the Cornell West Reader. <laughs> I don't know, just buy a big stack of books is, is basically <laughs> what's, what we're always trying to say. Um, anyways, uh, here's a quote from uh, Cornell West that's kind of interesting uh, that gets at something deeper going on here. Uh, West says this, ironically, the major figures of so-called Western Marxism were preoccupied with culture, but none was materialist enough to take religion seriously. <laughs> <laughs> A pretty cool dig, uh, actually, uh, about, uh, you know, about materialism, right? Um, the, uh, the Marxist theory of culture is always looking for, um, yeah, I don't know, like the the structure and the superstructure and like how they kind of interplay or whatever. Uh, but rarely do they actually consider religion in in a way deeper than that. Right. Uh, religion in this like, I mean, a very, a very particular Marxist view is like the thing that uh, spurs on the uh, the current state of things that keeps uh, keeps workers working, that keeps uh, capital uh, accruing for capitalists and so on. Uh, but, uh, you know, that particular view leaves out a whole lot of very interesting things about <laughs> about religion, about the ways that it, it's created, you know, wild utopian communities or ways that it's, you know, inspired people to uh, take up arms in, in, uh, in cases of socialist revolution. Um, yeah, Cornel West is right, <laughs> I think. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, one thing I love about that essay, too, is in in it, he says a lot of Marxists have given us really moving uh, and powerful analyses of things like the novel, right, or film or um, other kinds of, uh, I guess, like cultural objects that are not directly related to, you know, like going to work in a factory or something like that. Um, and Marxists have been keen to like develop really creative uh, understandings of those artistic and cultural products, but they arbitrarily leave out religion. Um, so they're willing to say like, yeah, after the revolution, maybe we'll still have the novel, even though the novel is a product mm. of bourgeois capitalist society, right? Um, but nevertheless, uh, they don't extend that same kind of analytical clarity to religion. And West uh, pushes that further in an interesting way. He goes on in that essay to say, uh, the major contribution that re religious revivals can make to left strategy is to demand that Marxist thinkers and activists take seriously the culture of the oppressed. This fundamental shift in the sensibilities and attitudes of Marxists requires a kind of desecularizing and de-Europeanizing of Marxist praxis, 
a kind of laying bare and discarding of the deep-seated enlightenment prejudices that shape and mold the perspectives and perceptions of most Marxists. And I like this point a lot because, first of all, I like the idea of taking uh, the culture of the oppressed seriously. Um, I think that's really significant. And then secondly, the fact that Marxism does develop in a Eurocentric way, uh, and it sort of sucks in a lot of Eurocentric ideas. I just mentioned, you know, Bakunin sucks in the Christian story about uh, Jews in a weird way and then reproduces it as an atheist. Um, and Marx does something kind of similar sometimes by sucking in certain European prejudices and uh, maybe isn't as open to the the kind of cultural forms of other people, especially colonized people. And I think that, you know, the, the lesson of the 20th century really is that religion uh, can be a really, really powerful motivating driving force. Now, you know, to, to Marx's credit, like, he's writing at a time where there's definitely no such thing as liberation theology, right? Or any other kind of revolutionary theology. So these are unforeseeable probably from his point in time. But I think from our point in time in the 21st century, uh, we can't really plead ignorance on that score. And mm -hmm. uh, Cornell West saying, look, we have to kind of get rid of the Eurocentric bias that's saying we shouldn't take religion seriously. I think that's a really big point that communists and socialists of any kind of faith or no faith at all should really uh, invest themselves in. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. I mean, um, sure, the historical stuff is probably important. I mean, just thinking through it practically, though, like if you are a member of any kind of socialist organization, right? And you're trying to, you know, you're doing the organizing work and trying to get people to show up for something or, you know, come to a meeting or come to a rally or whatever. Like, <laughs> I don't know, the precondition cannot be that like, you. oh, also you have to be an atheist. <laughs> like, it's just not going to work. Like, I don't know. Um, you know, like people who are, whether you like it or not, uh, religion of some variety. I mean, Christianity is uh, probably the dominant paradigm, I suppose. But like, it's it's in it's in the water. People have imbibed it. I mean, working class people know it. Like, even if even if they don't currently go to church or if they are sort of ambivalent about religion, you know, I'm sure they have some kind of experience with it. And to either like ignore that as an avenue for organizing or as some type of motivation for organizing, or uh, just to like try to counter it with some other type of like atheist ideology seems really, I don't know, like a very complicated way to get to your end point, right? If you're having that kind of conversation with somebody and you want to like, I don't know, I'll, like come to my, come to my socialist meeting, but also you should dis like disavow religion or something is like a conversation you probably aren't going to have any, very, like any good success yeah. in. Um, <laughs> So, I mean, just, like very straightforwardly taking serious the culture of the oppressed is uh is making some space for people who probably believe things that aren't like the things and it also forces you to write off whole swaths of the planet where socialism is significant as a, a driving force because you can't really understand the the way that politics and culture and religion go together in different ways in the global south for example i always think of what's going on even in experiments like uh, Allende's Chile. You know, Allende was purposefully open to the participation of Catholics, um, in part because it's like, how could he afford not to be <laughs> in Chile? Uh, but also because there were a bunch of people who were willing to be like, yeah, we'll throw down, you know, as priests and, and sisters and nuns and lay people uh, in a Christian way. And Allende was like, yeah, that that's fine. <laughs> Show up that way. Um, the same goes for, you know, uh, what's going on in Brazil with the, the Workers' Party and the MST. Um, and we were always talking on this podcast about the Sandinistas in Nicaragua, which are the, the big high point, I think, of a bunch of Christians and Marxists who got together and uh, did a revolution and, and pulled it off, right? And I think if you have a, a really reductive view of atheism, um, not only does it stop you from organizing like you were just saying, Matt, but it also stops you from actually having a meaningful point of solidarity with other people elsewhere. Um, you know, you just like cannot say that you understand what's going on and affirm the Sandinista revolution if you're like a Reddit atheist, you know, like it's not possible to hold those two things mm -hmm. together. So that's a huge piece too. global solidarity matters. And that means you kind of have to soften up at least uh, a certain atheist commitment.
I think that's right. I mean, it's again, it, the point isn't that you have right. to like believe it, but it's like uh, it's a, it's the way you comport yourself towards other people about having like a, some type of respect for different beliefs and also just like understanding the phenomena as something that exists in the world and, and maybe like what that might yeah. mean. Um, yeah. So that's that's a lot going on there. Um, yeah. I mean, so the larger question, if you if you followed us this far, uh, uh, atheist communist <laughs> mom that we've imagined just for this episode, um if you followed us this far then the question is like okay fine i will um make space in my brain that uh for religious people getting into like socialist politics or to come to my meeting or to you know whatever um but like what is it that christians are actually contributing to the discourse to the dialogue to action uh, and so on. So, Dean, uh, go ahead and lay it out for me. What are Christians <laughs> contributing? Yeah, this is always the hardest part. I wonder, maybe we even said this on the, the Christian version of this episode. I can't remember. But it's it's actually way easier to say what something like Marxism or socialism can do for Christians and way harder to go in the other direction um, without end up being ending up being evangelizing or proselytizing. Uh, but I don't think it's impossible. And I think that we also have a lot of historical situations that help us think it through in a little more complicated ways. And also some gifted theologians who are thinking critically about uh, their own situations that offer a lot. Um, so, yeah, I'll, I'll try my best <laughs> to get us going. Uh, the first thing I'll say is it is massively important to recognize that, like, no honest uh, Christian person involved in socialism or the revolution is going to be upset about calling out the church's hypocrisy or abuses. Um, that's huge. So like trying to say that there are Christian contributions is not a way of being like, and look, that's why actually it's been fine the whole time. <laughs> it doesn't like exculpate mm -hmm. Christianity or the church. And, you know, Christians have to be fighting yeah. against that ourselves, even in a, a more committed way, I think, than our atheist comrades. But uh, all that to say, um, I don't want it to be construed as like I'm I'm uh, wiping over all the other stuff. The the communist mom who's very pissed that women can't be priests is uh, is uh, rightly pissed. That's what I'm saying. Um, yeah. Okay. Nevertheless, yeah. uh, here's one thing that I, whenever someone says, "What can Christians con contribute to the Marxist conversation?" I always talk about uh, the revolutionary subject. Um, this is kind of a heady point. We'll come to the history later, but I, uh, this is at least the, how I've squared it for myself. Um, so Marxism in particular is really invested in the proletariat as the revolutionary subject, right? Because of their relationship to the point of production. Um, the whole idea is the, all the power is, is with the working class. That's where the labor power is. It's where the profit is basically generated, right? All the value is added by that labor, so at the end of the day, if you really want a revolution, you've got to organize the working class because uh, nothing happens without them, right? If all, if everybody goes on strike, then uh, the whole world stops. And I think that's true. I think the, the story Marx tells is true, and I agree. we got to uh, invest in the proletariat in a particular way because of its unique relation to the mode of production. However, uh, I also think Christianity has like a way more expansive view of uh, its revolutionary subject, which is basically the poor in a very broad uh, stroke. So what I mean by that is, you know, Marx and Engels, they write off the, the underclass of society or what they call the lumpen proletariat, um, the criminal class, they sometimes call it. And these are basically the the marginal of the marginals, you know, uh, people who probably are not going to affect a revolution. Um, and they give all kinds of reasons why they think that is they're they're unorganized. They're not, um, you know, they're not at the point of production and so on. Christianity, though, sees that group of people actually as, you know, the face of Christ, right? The least of these. And. I think that it's not unscientific, actually, to say that there is some some really radical revolutionary potential in that social position in itself. Um, and just to sort of put a fine point on it, that I'm not just like theologizing our way out of materialism. I think this is actually where movements like the Black Panther Party or the Young Lords were, were yeah. most effective was in that criticism of Marxism of saying, look, you're writing off all these people that are basically our community and we, you know, literally can't afford to do that. We would have <laughs> no one to organize uh, in that respect. So I think uh, you don't have to be a Christian, of course, to, to feel that way. But Christianity does 
have this kind of historical commitment to the poor and to valorizing the poor and at its best to politicizing the poor. You know, like in Brazil, the landless movement is largely a, a movement that is shot through with liberation theology and Christian language and Christian organizers and people. So uh, that's that's my first one that I'll put on the table, that Christianity can offer uh, a more expansive understanding of the revolutionary subject, not in place of the proletariat, but as a way of uh, just keeping our, our revolutionary horizons bigger than reducing ourselves to organizing the proletariat. It's good. That's a good way to lay it all out. Well, another way to think about it, uh, another way to think about what Christians can contribute to, uh, yeah, like working class politics, to socialism, is that uh, Christianity, for better or worse, sometimes worse, <laughs> um, is oftentimes like a, 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 it's a common language for, for like people in the working class or in other classes. Um, so, I mean, one reason to kind of like make space for Christians and socialist movements is that uh, it gives you a group of people who know, to, know how to speak that language, right? Like that, that seems important. I think that I told this story on the, uh, the Valley labor report uh, oh, yeah. live stream we did, but I guess I'll tell it again here. But um, uh, so I was at this like strike a few weeks ago now. And um, you know, if you go to a strike uh, where there's like a speaking program or something, chances are like, you're going to see a pastor there. Like it is more likely than not. It, I mean, maybe, Maybe you live in a place where that kind of thing is completely impossible or whatever. Who knows? But uh, in my experience, uh, in all of the different labor, I guess, actions I've been to, there's usually a pastor, a priest, somebody, someone there with some type of like uh, religious background. And, you know, they'll get up and they'll uh, say something very interesting. Uh, you know, God is with the workers. God's on the, on the side of the workers. They'll kind of invoke some kind of language about, uh, you know, like wealth or something. Maybe I just have very good community, uh, <laughs> a very so. good community of like <laughs> pastors or something. But it, it, the thing, it kind of it happens, I guess what I'm trying to say is it's not unusual to see a pastor show up at a labor action or whatever. Um, and that's cool. And um, that definitely does speak to people, right? Like using that type of language definitely kind of like can make an impact uh, on people at, uh, at a labor action. Um, but I guess the, the thing that really sticks out to me is is after the fact. So um, after people go on strike, uh, if uh, if, you know, the union foresees that there might be like a problem with that person returning to work, like they might get harassed or retaliated against uh, people often do things called like walkbacks, like you, uh, you go with the worker back into the job so that um, you and the community of people that like, you know, were on strike with them or that's with them on the strike line. You know, you, you tell their manager that, like, this person, they went on strike um, and, like, the strike's over, whatever. Uh, you know, they have a legal right to do that and there's nothing you can do about it, right? Like, and if you mess this person, like, we'll come back. <laughs> we'll come back and, like, we'll cause a problem for you or whatever. We'll, like, pick at the store or whatever. It doesn't matter. Um, anyways, so, like, the, the strike happened. The strike was over. Uh, we walked back, and the the person that was kind of leading the walk back was um, the one one of the pastors at my church, which is like particularly interesting to me. <laughs> and um, what was fascinating is that you know this guy, he's um, I don't know, he's probably my age or something, maybe a little bit younger. I can't, I can't tell. He uh, he was like wearing his collar and like his sort of, sort of like full priestly uniform, and he like walked in and told the manager like this person's coming back to work, like whatever, this is their right, this is like what you need to know about it. And then, like, we left and, like, just, like, the um, the presence of someone that had, like, the presence of a pastor, the presence of someone that has, like, the sort of, like, priestly collar on. I mean, he's an Episcopal priest, uh, so it's, like, a whole thing. It's, you know, it's, it's, uh, it doesn't carry the same weight, maybe, as the, uh, the full grandeur of the, the, the Roman <laughs> Catholic Church, but still, it's cool. But it, it, um, it has a sort of moral authority that is not present if it were just like a bunch of like regular people walking in, right? There's a, a sort of like um, mystery and uh, grandeur to wearing like a specific uniform that signals to other people that you have a moral authority. And like that is super valuable. I mean, you know, you maybe you don't believe in Christianity and like the whole idea of God is like very stupid to you and like fine. 
but um, other people don't think that. <laughs> and it is, you know, like I think amongst many people, there is sort of some belief that like people who are pastors have some type of moral superiority, which is, you know, probably misfound <laughs> there. But still, you know, if you if you want to know who knows how to live a good life or do the right and ethical thing, you know, uh, somebody asking a pastor is probably not uh, outside of your own imagination. So having somebody like that, like that can show up and say, like, this is this is what the situation is and like, this is what you should do or whatever to somebody who is uh, exploitative, you know, like a boss or a manager or an employer, it's pretty powerful, right? Like that's somebody that you want on your side. You want moral authority. Um, I, people, people have a lot of negative, like capitalists, I guess is what I'm talking about here. Capitalists have a lot of negative feelings about socialism, right? That it is, um, uh, morally suspect uh it's trying to get something for nothing all these kinds of like uh feelings about lazy workers and whatnot um but like when you have someone who has some type of moral authority on your side it looks different and mm -hmm. that's important yeah i think that's right and even uh beyond the the moral authority piece um just speaking from kind of a strictly sociological point of view Pastors are representative of communities, and I think that's always really significant as well. That uh, you, let's say you know the capitalist, their their conscience isn't pricked. They they don't do, have a, a second look at whatever, and and you know we can imagine all kinds of callous uh, bosses who don't give a shit about who's showing up and and telling you what to do, whether they have a collar or not. Still, at the end of the day, uh, a pastor has a church behind them. And uh, man, if you thought the, the union was rough, uh, imagine the union and also a congregation. <laughs> and that pastor also probably knows other pastors, right? And again, like, it's not to say this is a magic wand of solidarity building. I mean, this is the challenge, I think, of, of organizing is making these links. But it is a, a real thing that the pastor is a, a node of connection in a group of people that are already getting together to do something together at least once a week and probably more. So that that's a huge piece as well, just in the materialist side of it. Yeah, it's a good point. I mean, there's no one crankier than church people. So <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. Out. It's worth pointing out too that you know, uh, even just beyond the the moral authority piece as well, it's it's important to see how historically the kind of mobilizing power that a pastor has is really unique. Uh, they can kind of be a little more playful, I think, when it comes to politics and when it comes to maybe challenging certain people in power to speak on a, in a different register. I always think about that with, you know, Reverend Martin Luther King. The whole point of uh, his organizing in the civil rights movement uh, is not totally reducible to him being a pastor, but it's also like, he probably, you know, he couldn't have done it without being a pastor or at least uh, being a pastor opened up avenues for the yeah. civil rights movement that wouldn't have been opened up otherwise. And you see that repeated in, of course, a, a different way, but no less meaningful, I think, with someone like uh, Reverend William Barber today, uh, you know, people who are just willing to kind of um, <laughs> invoke a, the the prophetic language of a tradition. Right. And they're they're trained rhetoricians. They uh, they can kind of pose questions to people in power in ways that the rest of us maybe can't. And and they're sort of viewed <laughs> they can they can sort of take on the character of being a bit naive sometimes on purpose in order to make a sneaky point. Or they can take on the character of being, you know, the thundering uh, Hebrew prophet that's like out there to tell you that <laughs> the rich are going down. And uh, I think that's important, too, that the the character of Christian people embodied in pastors, but also in just kind of the tradition in general, uh, opens up different conversational spaces for building a, a socialist vision for everybody. So there's a there's a moral reason and a sociological reason. Um, it's good, a good way to start thinking about it. Um, all right, well, let's take one more, um, one more stop on the train that is this episode that's a weird <laughs> analogy i don't know why sometimes i just start saying <laughs> something and i don't know why uh i don't know where it's gonna end and uh i like yeah, it i, I like being podcast. on this train uh, go figure yeah choo-choo all right well um the, the the last stop here uh is uh <laughs> as usual is the fidel castro <laughs> stop so um a book that we turn to i mean i don't know a lot uh, it's uh, on this podcast. We we always talk about the gospel and Sultaname, and we always talk about Fidel and religion, a book by a book like an interview book uh, from Fry Beto. 
uh, a, a priest uh, from Brazil. And uh, right now, we're going to not talk about gospel and Sultaname. Uh, we are going to talk about <laughs> Fidel and religion. Uh, so the, the Fidel and religion book is so fascinating because um, Fidel parses out the exact question we're kind of talking through here. Like, what is it that Christians can kind of give to a uh, an anti-capitalist struggle, a struggle for socialism? I mean, he's talking about Cuba specifically, but I think the uh, the rule generally applies, maybe. So uh, here, let me, let me read this to you. Um, so Fidel says, from a strictly political point of view, I think I know something about politics. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> yeah. I believe that it is possible for Christians to be Marxists as well and to work together with Marxists, communists, and transform the world. The important thing is that in both cases, they be honest revolutionaries who want to end exploitation of man by man or, you know, human by human, you might say, and to struggle for a fair distribution of social wealth, equality, fraternity and dignity of all human beings. That is that they be standard bearers of the most advanced political, economic and social ideas, even though in the case of Christians, their standing point is a religious concept. Um, so Fidel thinks that there's a there's a lot of energy here that the uh, that they're. Uh, that okay not only can christians be marxists so that's cool and uh it turns out he really meant it because he opened up the membership to the communist party in cuba to christians after this so that's something um but uh you know maybe maybe a christian themselves uh they aren't a socialist they aren't a marxist they aren't anything right they just identify as a christian and maybe they're sort of like left-leaning but they wouldn't identify with socialism doesn't mean you can't work with those people even even yet right um as long as they um are honest in that they you know want a, a whole a whole world uh with an end in exploitation these are people that you can work with they can be uh they can be comrades in a struggle for sure um even if they don't share you know each you know point of ideological purity or something yeah, and not only can Christians and Marxists uh, get together in, in interesting ways, like our good friend Fidel says, uh, and he does know something about politics for sure. Um, something else uh, that Fidel points out in that book that I really appreciate is that by being uh, too heavy-handed in anti-religious criticism, you actually end up driving people into the open arms of uh, the oppressing class. Um, religion is like a really easy thing to get people upset about. And by removing the kind of myth of religious persecution, for example, or by uh, um, even better, like welcoming a, a religious element into the revolution, I think that you also end up building kind of like you, you take away a certain weapon that the oppressing class has and uh, you gain also a weapon yourself. And I think you gain a lot of uh, PR points Um I mean, this is something that happened in Nicaragua after the revolution. A lot of the uh, uh, religious people who were involved, especially the priests, were basically like going on speaking tours throughout the world. Uh, and it was a huge point of pride for the Sandinista movement to be like, look, we're not oppressing the church. We literally have priests in the government, <laughs> you know, and uh, I think mm -hmm. that is really significant. And just again, by virtue of... Uh, thinking carefully about how to really build socialism and, you know, the hard kinds of things that go on in building socialism, uh, being willfully sort of too frothing at the mouth, I guess, about religion just creates a problem for everybody that uh, doesn't need to be there. Yeah, exactly. Um, appropriating it. I mean, this is maybe cynical sounding, but like appropriating it so it can't be used against you is not a bad idea um maybe appropriating is the wrong word but like or like giving it space or something that it can kind of like function alongside or, or whatever but mm -hmm. you know what i mean um you don't want people to you don't want people to use religion against you i mean the fact is that it already is and that needs to be sorted out too but um you want to give space to people um within different traditions to be a part of your movement. That is what makes it a good movement that has kind of flexibility. Yeah. And I think too, I mean, this is uh, an, an, a development of the Marxist tradition. And I think, uh, well, obviously, I think it's a political improvement <laughs> as well. But I think it's also a development that happens in light of historical circumstance, right? Like um, something else that comes out in that book, Fidel and Religion, Fidel says, you know, 
when we at one point they they uh, they banned Catholics from being members of the Communist Party. And Fray Beto asks him to explain that some more. And Castro says, well, we didn't ban them because they're Catholics. Um, like, we think you can, you can be a Catholic and be a revolutionary. But the church just happened to be pretty thoroughly reactionary in Cuba, which is true. It's very different from a lot of other places in the world. And so he said the banning wasn't because of their religion. It was just because they were associated with a, a pretty big bastion of counter-revolutionary force in society. And later on, the Cuban party uh, removed that prohibition, which is no longer true. You can be a Catholic and a member of the Communist Party of Cuba now, and you couldn't before. And I think that's all sort of uh, what a, any good Marxist should recognize, right, is that the different demands require sort of different responses. And the more you can afford to sort of open up to those kinds of things, the better off it's going to be. People feel like they live in a participatory society and uh, again, you don't have to be religious yourself, but uh, it's kind of like, you know, <laughs> don't give somebody a reason to dislike you when they already have enough ideological uh, bombardments <laughs> sort of pummeling them every day to turn them against socialism. Yeah, I think that's right. You just don't want uh, other people to use, I don't know, something against you. It doesn't make any sense. Don't do that. <laughs> um, well, before we completely close out the show, I think there is one more interesting point to bring up. And I don't know exactly what to make of it, but it is kind of interesting. Um, so Fry Beto, he uh, he says to Fidel Castro, uh, socialist and communist society also seeks the development of man's spiritual life, kind of asking it as a question. And Castro has this kind of interesting answer uh, that I, I don't know, fascinating. He says, yes, of course, we seek man's broadest material and spiritual development. That's exactly how I've put it when I've spoken about education and culture. And you might also add and man's spiritual development in the religious sense. We make it a principle that all individuals are to have that freedom and opportunity. Uh, so I guess like what's interesting here to me is that, uh, I mean, kind of like we were saying earlier that um, there are these like Marxist theories of the novel or of, of like film or whatever, right? That like there are these ways that socialists have thought like what these things would look like post-revolution. And I think Fidel Castro was thinking about these things too. Um yeah, I mean, about uh, Catholicism, about Christianity, I mean, about religion, I think, it, in uh, broadly, as it exists in Cuba, probably not just with Christianity, but uh, mm -hmm. other forms, too. Um, but, uh, I mean, Christians have something to say about that. But, uh, you know, um, in, in a revolutionary context, uh, it all looks a little bit different. But uh, to be open to it, I think, is uh, most kind of important. Take yeah, away. I agree. Well, all right, we're here at the end. Um, I guess to sort of summarize the points here, um, there's a lot of atheism in the tradition of the left, and I think uh, a lot of it's very good. Um, we didn't spend a lot of time talking about that on this episode, but we do on the podcast in general, obviously. Um, there's a lot of important stuff that Christians still don't understand about the oppressive nature of their own, our own faith tradition, and uh, the left has a lot of good things to offer in its own atheist suspicion. So I think people should hold on to that suspicion and try to metabolize it as best they can. Uh, at the same time, um, things are always more complicated. Uh, even the atheist tradition is more complicated. And I think the more you go through history and the more people have to figure out how to uh, create a massive change that is popular, that, gain, that gets the people on their side, that is worth defending, that people are ready to appreciate, uh, the more people end up having to nuance their their opinions on things like religion and figure out how to make these not only not barriers, but actually how to sort of turn people into partners and, and co-laborers and people who can, you know, uh, like like Lenin says, have a, a unity in the struggle, even if they don't have a unity in their their metaphysics or something like that. And I don't know, for me, that has always been one of my favorite things about organizing, especially with uh, other communists I know. Um, the ones that I know are always uh, very uh, quick to sort of affirm that religion can be uh, an important thing. And, and they affirm, yeah, if you can get more religious folks uh, down to this rally, that'd be great. <laughs> the more people down here telling this politician <laughs> to stop intervening in Venezuela or something, the better, whether they go to church or not, you know. <laughs> and uh, I think uh, it's it's always important for people on the left to sort of see what kind of contributions something like Christianity can offer to those kinds of struggles. Yep. That's good. That's the good socialist point. Can you get more people down in this rally? That's what we need <laughs> Christian or otherwise we don't care. 
Thanks for listening to the Magnificast. If you like what you heard, you can subscribe to us and support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash the Magnificast. You can also find us on Twitter at the Magnificast. You can email us at the Magnificast at gmail.com. Um, our music is by Amaria Armstrong and our outro is by the Illogical Spoon. We'll see you next week. Get up for church in the morning, church in the morning, souls alive. Heaven come to earth and there won't be no church. We'll meet down by the riverside. There we'll swim with all creation. Never get tired, never bored. Don't worry, someday there'll be no dam between us and our Lord. Jackson, keep your hoods up. Keep your hoods up and you stay up late in Jackson. You keep your hoods up, well you keep your hoods up and you stay up late. Oh, don't mind a cold night, but we might mind if you leave too soon. So come on now, it's still early. Lisa, I would have.